Uh, probably about a month ago, um, I went to a cohort that I'm a member of. One of the things Acts 29 does is we try to get our guys in cohorts with guys around the same church size as them. Uh, and so I went and I was participating in my cohort and we were just talking about the moment we're in, I think it's the language everybody's using. And so we're all talking about the same things. We're talking about the pandemic. Uh, we're talking about racial tension. We're talking about political strife, the rising cynicism of our day. And there started to, there started to be some kind of clarity uh, around like the lament uh, so they were, we were talking about the fact that in a lot of places, as we try to provide clarity to congr congregants, uh, some of them would view that clarity actually as control. So how do you lead in an environment when you're providing clarity, but the cynicism of the day interprets it as control? Uh, and then as we tried to provide direction, some people were like, well, that's being domineering. So now what do you do? And clarity is control and direction uh, is dominance and accountability is abuse and expectation are burdens. Uh, and so I'm around these guys. But does that, that resonate with anybody else? Uh, I mean, like, this is what we're sitting around and we're just like, oh my gosh, th this is what we're navigating and this is how we're trying to get. And, and you could just start to feel. And then uh, nobody's projecting that the future's getting better. I, I don't know if you're in that room. Invite me into the room. Because everywhere it's just like, oh man, I can't even imagine when this takes place or how this is going to go. And you can just see culture kind of moving farther and farther and farther away. And so that we were in this, we're in this moment near the end where it seemed to me that, that we were talking about things that, that, that were needed and necessary to talk about, but, but ultimately had lost sight of the big picture. Because here's where I'll say, it's a mess and we're God's big plan for it. And that for me is where all, all the joy in ministry is. Like it ain't Augustine that's here right now, it's you. It ain't the Apostle Paul, it's us. And God ain't nervous about that. that like this is our moment. This is the moment for the church to step in and be what the church is. And if our default process is, I might get in trouble if I say that, or what's going to happen if I do that, or if we're parallel, I think fear is toxic to the kingdom. And so, man, I even wanted to say in the moment, listen, guys, no, this is, this is our, this is our day. Like this has been given, what a privilege to be given this train wreck by the King of glory. And I'm just telling you, if you're like, well, I'm looking around at this room, I'm not confident it's a good plan. It's a terrible plan. It's a terrible plan. And yet it's the plan that's taken the gospel from Jerusalem to Houston. It's the one that's gotten the gospel across the world. It's the one that makes Christianity the largest religion known to man. It's the one that keeps making disciples among tribes, tongues, and nations globally. It's the one. And so, look, I, I know it's hard. I don't, I know it's hard. I know it's long. I know it's deadly. And yet, Christ is Lord. That, that's not just something we, we, we slap on because whether you believe it or not, whether the people in your neighborhood believe it or not, whether the people at your work believe it or not, whether this culture believes it or not, Christ is Lord right now. He's Lord right now. This ain't some future happening, some future appearing right now, right hand of the Father, enthroned, ruling and reigning now. Not in the future, now. And we're His and we've been called into his kingdom. We've been equipped by his spirit and we've been unleashed on the enemy and he's freaking out right now and that's why all this crap's flying around in the air. 
It's not that we're shrinking, it's that he can feel that his time is, and that's why this stuff kicks up. Study the book of Revelation. That, that, what's happening is, is he knows he's, he's on borrowed time and things get nasty. So the nastier things get, I'm telling you, that means we're winning, not that we're losing. Amen. But more on this later. But we've, had, we've got 400 years of baggage to try to get rid of in regards to how we see ultimate reality as evangelicals. That's more on that later. But for now, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Acts 13, 1 through 3. I want to try to cast a compelling vision to you. Uh, around the kind of churches that we need in this moment. We need to plant them. We need to become them. You can't plant them if you aren't them. Are you tracking with that? Like you're going to plant your DNA. You're going to plant what you are, not what you teach, what you are. So what kinds of churches do we need in this moment? And I think Acts 13 is the template. If you know the book of Acts, there's this shift in emphasis from Jerusalem to Antioch, starting in Acts 13. And in Acts 13 forward, you're not hearing much about Jerusalem at all. What becomes ground zero? What becomes base camp? What becomes the essence of where uh, we're funding and sending and raising? Well, it becomes Antioch, not Jerusalem, not, not gigachurch Jerusalem, you know, that, that had the first ever evangelistic kind of rally and, and saw thousands and thousands of people. Not, not the one with that sick family life, so that gym, that sick youth building. No, it, it, was, it was Antioch. But like in Antioch, they, they act like crazy people. And so let, let's look at this together. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now, there were in, Antioch, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, so three things I'm going to pull from this. Uh, here would be the first one. Uh, that we would plant churches that fight for harmony. You, you and I are in a day that is cynical and divided and angry. And if you're not careful, you might just build a community bent on revenge rather than a community bent on redemption. Look at this. Look, this is, we just read about, and I don't know what your background is, what your history is. This is the worst small group ever put together in the history of our faith. Like you just would never do this. Like if you sat down with the smartest people on your team and you were like, well, we've got this and we've got this. You're like, keep those away from each other. Right now, like, let me just, let's point out the two obvious. We, we first read about Barnabas, which isn't his name. It's like his given name in the book of Acts. Acts chapter four, starting in verse 36. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas, Joseph, one of the earliest believers, first one to sell the land, not the one to get killed for, but the first, sells the land and lays it at the apostles' feet. And not long after that, we read about our boy Saul, Acts 8, starting in verse 1. And Saul approved of his, being Stephen's, execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church 
and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, here's what I want to do. My Bible's right here. I'm going to step over here because this is conjecture. You would, ha- you would be hard-pressed to sell me that these two brothers are not aware of each other. The church of Jesus Christ is small. It is, not, it is a small, tiny little sect made up almost entirely of Jews in Acts 4. And then you've got Saul, who's kicking open doors and dragging people into the street, who we would find out later in Timothy is also murdering them, imprisoning them, and putting them to open shame. You would be hard-pressed to convince me, stay away from me, you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that some of these people that got drug out, men and women, drug out into the street, murdered, drug out into the street, imprisoned, drug out into the street, and shamed, weren't friends of Barnabas. And we just put these fools in a home group together. Man, we just had a, a woman who had grown up hard, hard lost her whole life get into one of our maybe overly been in church too long groups. Y'all had, oh, I guess somebody else has had that. She smokes. From where she's coming from, we'll take it. We'll let the Lord work on that one in time. Right? Like, how are you going to put these people in the same group? It, it must be that the gospel can bring about a kind of redemption and reconciliation that the world hadn't figured out how to bring about. Amen. And not just that. I mean, again, let's just keep going. You got Manan here, who it says is a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Lifelong friend literally can be translated brought up with. This man's got a shady lineage in a time in which the church can be persecuted. Like, you know, the Herods, right? The Herods? Like, I mean, just pick one. It's not like, oh, the good Herod. They they were all despicable, wicked, demonized, horrific men. Gosh, come on. um, We could just walk through some of them, like, killed. Like, who solves their problem by killing all the boys under the age of two? Who who goes there? Not round them up. Let's get, like, just kill all the kids under two. Herod, right? He, he was brought up with in the lineage of is known to married the ex-wife of his half brother, had John the Baptist beheaded, wanted Jesus to entertain him uh, with a miracle and then mocked him and sent him to Pilate. What, what if our boy Manan's just a spy sent from Rome to out all of us? Oh, you know what we should do with him? Let's just throw him in that, that crazy group with Barnabas and Saul. I mean, I think it's going to blow up anyway. Might as well just make it big. (laughs) One giant mess rather than two or three little messes makes it easier for the apostles, apparently. And then we haven't even got to the diversity of this church. You got Barnabas, who's a, uh, from Cyprus, a Hellenistic Jew. You got Simeon, he's an unknown origin, but, but Niger means black in Latin. And unless we think he's being ironic, Lucius is from Cyrene. He's African. Manan's a Palestinian Greek. Herodian Saul is uh, from Tarsus in Jerusalem. He's a Hebraic Jew. You serious right now? Like this is everything that's wrong. Everybody who disagrees about anything in our culture all jammed into one place. This is like Thanksgiving on steroids this year. (laughs) But what's happened? Something's healed them. Something's softened them. 
And something's become so much more important that all of those things, I imagine, still are important to them, but aren't as important as they once were. See, if we're going to, we're going to own our day. You tracking with me? We're going to own our day. We're going to step into it as the men and women of God that we are confident that we were made for this day and this day was made for us. Like we step into that, we're going to need to plant churches that fight for harmony. And, and I'm using those words on purpose, fight for harmony. It, it will not naturally happen in a day where a device seeks to sow division into the souls of you and your people nonstop every day. This will be a fight. The environment we're in, we're in is charged. Um, but I think there's a way to be the people of God here. Uh, rather than to join in with the fear and the anger of the world around us. I, I think repentance and confession are the ongoing ethics of the Christian life. I, I think this has to be taught, has to be emulated, has to be modeled well. We have to plant churches that are fighting for harmony. Now, uh, on, uh, if it, just on ethnic harmony and all of that, here, here's what I just believe. I believe where we're able to do it, we need to fight for. We need to fight for diverse congregations. If you can't have a diverse congregation, you need to fight for ethnic IQ. But listen, you, you will never be able to convince me that the Holy Spirit won't dwell in an all-black church. You will never be able to convince me that if you find an all-white church, that's somehow devoid of the Spirit. You would never be able to convince me that a church that's primarily, if not only, Latinos doesn't have a special dispensation of the Holy Spirit like any other gathered group of believers. So it's saying we can't go where the world goes. But where we can increase our ethnic IQ, we better fight for it. And where we can be diverse, we better lean into it. While not sliding off this slope of reality into insanity. It will be a fight. We must, make, we must fight for harmony. Here, here's the second one. Not only do we need to plant churches that fight for harmony. I think we need to plant. This is going to sound like such a no-brainer. Plant unapologetically spiritual churches. The last 400 years have given us a terrible plausibility structure among most evangelicals. Like, guys, there's angels and demons and an ultimate reality that exists right now in this room that, that most of us are completely unaware of. There is a way that battles are fought and won that evangelicals as a whole have forgotten. We're almost embarrassed to be overly spiritual. Don't want to come off as spiritual and by so doing have cut ourselves out from the very power of God that brings about what we most want him to bring about. Like, I'm not off on leadership books and all of that, but some of you got leadership chops that your experience in the ghost can't help you actually activate. And so what you do is you're like, go over to Besner's church. You're like, oh, what are you doing? Oh my gosh, you're doing that. Let me carry that over to mine. Try to add it into mine. No time in the closet. No time on your face. No time wetting the carpet with your tears, asking the spirit. Like, do you see what they're doing? Like, do you see where these brothers have gathered? They're not exchanging strategy. Well, tell me what you did there in Jerusalem. Because that strategy is not going to work. Well, we had a guy get killed. And then we were terrified. And so we just left. I don't think you implement that strategy, right? So, so that wouldn't even work. So what have they done? Like, like they've gathered. And what is this weird kind of 
not full of wisdom, home group doing with all their harmony. They're worshiping the Lord and they're fasting. They're listening for the Holy Spirit's voice and open to hear it. Listen, it's not a joke. Paul's not playing around in Ephesians 6. He's not playing around that that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That there are principalities and powers. And here's here's what frustrates me right now. None of you just, like some of you think I'm talking about being a charismatic. I ain't said anything but what the Bible says. Everybody says that. Not. I ain't talking about you being a charismatic or a Pentecostal or tongues or prophet. I'm slave. I'm, I'm just talking about being unapologetically spiritual. There's an ultimate reality that will not be touched with your physical fingers, maybe not even seen with your physical eyes, nor heard with your physical ears, that is more real, more powerful, sits at the center of reality and pulses out sovereign power. And that's our world. That will ultimately be our home. And we're not going there. It's coming here. And so we need churches that understand this, know this, and get right into the heart of this. Love this quote by Ian Browns. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. And I wonder, just seriously, think about who's championed in our day. Who's looked to in our day? Who's marveled at in our day? Is it this? Is it, gosh, that guy sets aside like hours a day just to be alone with the Lord and cry out. We don't celebrate that. We celebrate being busy. How do you listen? Right? They're listening. They're, they're listening for the Holy Spirit. What do we do? Worshiping. You're so good. I can't believe that you've brought us to this moment. Here, here's what I don't know. I love that Paul's a member of this church because he kind of started it without knowing it. How did we get to Antioch? Well, they killed Stephen. That's how they got to Antioch. How does this church even get planted? Saul heartily approves of the execution of Stephen and then starts ravaging the church in Jerusalem. How great that Paul planted this church, didn't even know it. And now he's there and he's worshiping. And that's why I'm telling you, man, don't lose heart with all this darkness around us. Do you you think anybody saw Paul coming? When Stephen was like, Stephen was killed? Who in here wouldn't love a brother like Stephen in their congregation? He dies. And, and what do we get? we get? We get the three missionary journeys that ultimately leads to the downfall of the Roman Empire. Don't lose heart in all this madness. God's at work in the mess. God ain't panicking. He's got him right where he wants him. How do we listen to the Spirit? Well, here, I, I don't think this stuff's overly complex. Here, one, you need to be steeped in the Word of God. Steeped in it. Why? Because you might have some thoughts that are you. And you might hear some whispers that are the enemy. And how do you discern that? Well, you discern that with the word of God. You, you steep yourself in the word of God. If you're one of my charismatic friends in here, I, I think we desperately need some of our, all of that's from the devil to move your way. And we desperately need some of you guys 
to love the word of God more than proof texting a verse here and there to get across what you want to get across, making promises that, that God never promised. And so this mess that we're in is everybody's fault, not one group's fault. We steep ourselves in the word of God. We, we, we understand hermeneutics and how they work. We understand the context of a passage. We're not ripping it out of its meaning to say something. Like we understand, we steep in the word of God. And then we create space to listen. I, I love you. You will never be what you can be until you create a lot of space to be by yourself with Jesus. There is too much noise here for you to become all that God has for you to become without you finding and calendaring space and time alone with Jesus. Look at me. No one is ever going to hand this to you. People, look at me. Let's make some eye contact. People are going to want you to be their functional savior. And look at me. It kind of feels good. I mean, I didn't get enough hugs from my dad growing up. I don't know about you. What your people need most is your heart fully alive in Jesus. What your family needs most is your heart fully alive in Jesus. You will not get there any other way than time alone with Jesus. In the quiet, the kind of quiet that makes you have to internally wrestle for eight hours. Hey, look, don't, don't, I get that, but here's in that moment what the Spirit is doing when you try to create time alone with Jesus and all you can think about is a billion other things that you need to do and you fight it, your capacity, the capacity of your soul to be with him, to hear from him, to have his power in you, it grows. That's what's it. Don't even, don't even hate that fight. Gosh, I've been doing this 20 years. I still, man, I still get alone by myself. And man, I've got like a 12-hour panic that, that I have to endure before I can kind of ooch into the, the quietness that I'm after. And, and sometimes I don't, I leave those little quiet sessions, don't feel like anything happened. But what happens is God, like the spirit is like, just kind of expanded my capacity, expanded the walls of my soul so we could pour more in. We need churches that fight for harmony. But they also need to be unapologetically spiritual. Lastly, and I love this, we need to plant churches and be churches that are willing to take massive risks and believe God for it. Saul and Barnabas had spent the last two years teaching and training in Antioch. Um, and then they're, they're worshiping. Here, here they are doing this thing that we're talking about. And the Holy Spirit says, set aside for me, set aside for me, Paul and Barnabas. Now, if I'm the lead pastor of Antioch, it's not, I used to be able to say First Baptist Antioch anymore, but that's not, it's like, you got to be like the Red Door Antioch or um, the Vineyard Antioch or, yeah, I don't know, some cool name Antioch, whatever you came up with. And um, where people are like, is that a restaurant? No, it's a church. Oh, okay. But it's in an old restaurant. Yeah, okay, we're there. And um, like if I'm the pastor of Red Door Church Antioch, if, if your church is really Red Door, I just made that up. I'm not dogging you. <laughs> actually brilliant and has some historicity to it, but I don't have time. Like I, if the Holy Spirit said, Hey, 
Paul, you know, the, the most powerful guy you've ever seen. And, and Barnabas, like a human golden retriever, just always encouraging everybody, always has a good word for everybody, always speaking life and everybody. Those two set them aside for a mission that I have. I think I got some questions for the ghost. Like I just, just real quick, I need to know if he's considered Lucius at all. Like what about Lucius? What, what about my man Simeon? Manan, he can go wherever he wants. You don't even need visas. What about him? I mean, the open-handed riskiness of this church in this moment blows my mind and should cast shame on quite a few churches in our day and age. And I know what Brene Brown says about shame. I'm sticking with the word shame. To hang on to the blessings of God rather than to see them as things to be stewarded. Like, can you imagine? My hospital visits go a kind of way. Like I go to the hospital, I will spend some time talking, sitting, learning what I can, um, and then I'm going to pray. And every time I am going to ask God to miraculously heal. Every time. I, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a broken arm. I just want to see that sucker pop back into Like every time I am verbally going to, I might even get crazy and speak to the disease. You don't, you don't know me. <laughs> and, and so I, I'm going to pray and ask and expect healing. And in 20 years of ministry, I've seen that twice. My boy Paul here, though, imagine what he's like on hospital visits. He don't even have to go. He's like, oh, I'm busy. just take this apron. <laughs> and this is the guy that's going. And then you know this. You, you just know this. There are men that God puts in your circle. I pray you know this. If you don't know it yet, I want you to know it eventually who are nothing, like they live to encourage you. They just live to, I mean, at the right time throughout my life, when I don't know had I, if I would make it much longer, God send the right guy that was like this. It's a guy in Dallas named Steve Harden. I know Brandon Barker knows, I've got a guy named Ray Ortland in my, and when they see me, it's like all they care about is making sure that my soul is full. I've been praying for you like crazy. Man, I was just thinking about you this morning. Here's what the Holy Spirit told me. I think you should lean into it. And that's the guy, all I'm left with, these other guys I don't even know anything about. And what they do, gosh, did you see what they did? They prayed and fasted some more, they laid hands on them, they blessed them, and they sent them out. Those are big shoes to fill. Paul, the apostle, and Barnabas, Joseph, son of encouragement. I love this quote. I love the book, The Hiding Place. It, by the way, if you've got a kid in classical ed and they're reading that or something like that, that's not a kid's book. It's a kid's book. It's not a kid's book. You should read it. And in, in The Hiding Place, uh, Corey's sister, Betsy, says this to Corey. There are no ifs in God's world and no places that are safer than other places. The center of his will is our only safety. Let us pray that we may always know it. I love that. Like, there, there's, you're not safe. I'm not safe except in his exact will for my life. And so let me pray that I always find it. So some of you are an embarrassment of riches. You tracking with me on that? You've got dollars and people and your youth guy's a better preacher than 30% of other preachers in Houston. And it actually kind of makes you nervous because that youth, youth is bombed. I mean, they're blowing up right now. And you know what dynamic youth ministry brings to churches? Parents of youth. And so, man, what happens if you lose that cat? 
mean, what's it going to look like when he leaves and some of those family leaves with him and then your church shrink? Oh, gosh, what does that say about you? See, that, that, that's nonsensical, demonic lies. What it says about you is you love the kingdom of God. What that says about you is that you're in this not for your own brand, your own name, your own mythical, ethereal hug from dad, but rather you're in this because you love his kingdom and you know we win and, and you're on the team and you're freaking blown away that you're on the team. Like, can you believe you're on the team? Like he picked you? If you're a man, don't wig out about it. I'm not, anyway. Like you're on the team. Are you serious? I want to end with this quote. Uh, let, me, let me say this. The air we are breathing is full of cynicism and doubt and anger. So this makes us suspicious and, and unsettled and on edge. And I think that leads to all kinds of hostility. It, it leads to us refusing to give our brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt, specifically around secondary issues. Everything's not a gospel issue, guys. Everything's not life and death. You know, one secondary issue different than yours doesn't lead to baptizing cats and falling away from Christ forever. <laughs> I don't want you to have a survival mentality. Look at me. Stop it. You're a child of God. You know what your inheritance is? Survival mentality? Oh, man, we ain't here to survive. We're not the ones being diminished. It's the kingdom of darkness that's being diminished. And you already got several testimonies even here today to, to hear about. Strong man stuff being plundered in the here and now. So I love this. Um, Caesar Hadrian, um, he, he's trying to figure out what's going on with this sect of Jews, but now it's bigger than the Jews. They're spreading all over the empire. He, he's not quite sure what he's going to do about it. And so he hires Aristides to go and, and check it out. Like, help me understand these weird new, um, you know, cannibals. Help me understand these blood-drinking cannibals. And so he goes out, and here's what he writes back to Caesar Hadrian. They love one another, and he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there is among them any that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new people, and there is something divine in the midst of them. Here's my encouragement, and then I'm going to bless you. I'm just going to pray over you. We need to be building these kinds of churches and planting these kinds of churches. Fighting for harmony. Unapologetically spiritual. We pray, we fast, we sing. We expect big supernatural things in our midst. And we take giant risks because we're playing with house money and it's already won. Like what are you going to lose if you look back on it a thousand years from now? We need to build these churches where we are, plant these churches wherever we can. And then, I mean, you're going to do it. And, and you're going to do it because it's God's kingdom and he called you to himself and he's not going to let you not. And that's why it's so fun to hop on a plane and come down here and go and just champion, just go, go get them, guys. The enemy's anxious. So you should stop being, he, he's anxious. You shouldn't be. We know how it ends. 
Let me pray for you. 